Life's complicated and overwhelming enough, especially for those in mission-driven work. Let's make your journey to health as simple and sustainable as possible. I'm Lisa Baker, and I want to welcome you to the Simply Health Coaching Podcast, where it's the food, and it's more than the food. On this podcast, we talk about the food that you put in your mouth, and everything else that nourishes you, or doesn't, with special attention paid to the problems and opportunities facing women over 40 burning out in mission-driven work. My vision is a world in which you can be well while doing good. My mission is to give you the simple resources and practices and some helpful connections to get there. Let's get started. Remember Carrie Miller from Season 4, Episode 42? Today's episode is from Carrie's Ending Emotional Eating Masterclass series. We've reversed the mics, and I'm the one being interviewed. Carrie is going to be holding another series in 2023, so make sure you're on her email list. The link to connect with her is in the show notes. And I'll be running my Stewarding Emotional Eating group program again in 2023, so stay tuned for that. Welcome back to End Emotional Eating Masterclass. I'm so happy you're here. I am your host, Carrie Miller, and I put this masterclass together because of my past history of struggling with emotional eating. I ate when I was stressed and when I was bored, I overate at every meal to the point of almost throwing up because that's what it that's what I thought it felt like to feel full inside, trying to fill that void in me that could never be filled with food. I have healed myself in my emotional eating, and now I want that for you. So I brought together 20 plus experts for you to hear their stories, strategies, and techniques in hopes that you will find something or someone that will help you. I hope you find something that inspires you, sparks your healing. And today I have the pleasure of speaking with Lisa Baker. She's a health coach an employee wellness consultant, author, blogger, podcaster, and woefully underpaid COO of a busy family of four who are spread across the globe. Lisa brings her passion, knowledge, and experience to the table to help you and your team reach your health goals in a simple, sustainable fashion, whether it's through employee wellness programs or one-on-one and group group programs for individuals, her sweet spot as a coach is in, as a, I'm sorry, her sweet spot as a coach is supporting the underappreciated, underlistened to undertaking care of undervalued, overwhelmed, overworked, overscheduled, overtired, and just over it. Women who work in the social change sector, Barb, Put more simply, Lisa helps you be well while doing good. Please help me welcome Lisa Baker. Lisa, welcome to the masterclass. I am so happy you're here. Thank you for your time. Thank you for this opportunity. I'm so excited to be here. Absolutely. So tell our viewers a little bit about yourself. What your journey with emotional eating, how you healed, how you got into helping people with with their journey. 
Sure. Yeah. I have one of those resumes. I joke, you know, it's one of those, one of those resumes you look at and you think like, what has this woman been doing with her life? Like she's totally unemployable. Or you could look at her and say, wow, like she could do anything. <laughs> so my crazy journey started out with me teaching Mandarin Chinese, which what? who does that? And then moved on through a bunch of other, other jobs and careers. And uh, I've always cycled back to food and nutrition and cooking and meal planning. And really, finally, everything just coalesced in, in health coaching, because I find that I, I do tap into my experience as, first of all, a teacher. Secondly, <clears throat> excuse me, as um someone who taught foreign languages because teaching somebody about health, uh, also specifically about emotional eating is really like teaching them a different language. And, you know, I spent time in the nonprofit sector. So I know a lot about stress and burnout and how we can move towards emotional eating when we're under stress. So I burned out just spectacularly in the <laughs> in the nonprofit sector. And uh, so I, I've been there, I've gone through the, oh, I'll just fix it with food stage. And uh, what I realized as I became certified as a health coach, while I was still working in a nonprofit was, you know, yes, it is about the food. And it's about so much more than the food. It's really more about our relationship with food than it is about what we're putting in our mouths. So that's sort of a quick summary of where I came from. And I think we're going to tap a little bit more into that in our conversation. Absolutely. So when did you discover that you were an emotional, that you ate for emotional reasons? You're an emotional eater. You know, <clears throat> when I look back on my life, I realized that it actually started in childhood very much, you know, craving sweets, wanting sweets not knowing like, why do I want all this? <laughs> and as I became an adult, it turned much more into, um, as a friend of mine at work used to say, like three o'clock would hit and I'd be like, I just have to bite something, you know? <laughs> and I, I was like, that's crazy. You just ate lunch. Why are you hungry again? <laughs> so that was the point when I was working in the nonprofit, um, when I really started thinking about the connection between the rest of my life and food. And uh, we had a, a place in our office that was really yuckily named the trough. And it just happened to be between my desk and my best friend's desk. And she had all the willpower in the world and I had none. And so as I, as I ramped down in the nonprofit world and ramped up my coaching business, I thought, well, this will be great. I'm going to be a consultant, not an employee. I'm going to be working from home. It'll be wonderful. I won't be near the trough. It's not going to be a problem for me anymore. And I really noticed that working from home, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I would work on my business. And Tuesday, Thursday, I was doing my consulting work. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I would go into my office and you know, six hours later, I would come out and think, oh my God, I missed lunch. And Tuesdays and Thursdays, every 15 minutes was like, I get a cup of coffee. I have some tea. I need a cookie, chocolate bar. We go get the laundry. You know, like whatever it was, I just gravitated towards some kind of food most of the time because what I was doing was not fulfilling me. And so that was the point at which I was just like, oh, yes, there is definitely a connection here that has nothing to do with did I eat breakfast or lunch? It's more like if I'm not feeling satisfied intellectually, then I'm going to go and eat something. 
So that's that really, you know, I yeah. just did an interview with, with somebody and talking about our habits in different environments. Yeah. Physical in, environment, massive yes. trigger. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, we, we, we are one way at home and we are a different way at work. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Versus a different way at a party. Yes. And I often think about it in terms of like how differently I eat when I'm at home versus, you know, I go to my mom's house and all of a sudden I'm like going through the cabinet looking for cookies. <laughs> See, like I go, we go to my mom's house for all of our family gatherings and you go and we, it's like, okay, it's time to graze. Yes. Yeah. The chips and the dip and the <laughs> fruit with the fruit dip and yeah, all of the things that I normally don't eat, I go and I graze on all day long. Yeah. And it's like, what yeah. is the trigger at at home? Because mom's house is still home. Um, that that requires grazing. Yeah. Yep. Oh yeah, it's so true. Uh, location and situations and who you're with and where you are so important to those of us who struggle with emotional eating. So how did you go in from working in a nonprofit then to becoming a health coach? Well, I was, like I said, I always sort of cycled back towards food as part of my work. And this nonprofit happened to work in the sort of at the intersection of social justice and healthy food access and sustainable oh. agriculture. So it did have to do with food. And while I was working there, I went back to teaching cooking classes, which is something I'd done in the past and really started thinking that, no, my future is definitely not writing grants. <laughs> what, what it did allow me to do is to come back to, uh, to food and also to coaching with uh, with an eye towards social justice. One of the things that I really try to do in my health coaching practice is to make it affordable for everybody. And you know, health coaching can be looked at as sort of this high-end, uh, you know, soccer mom kind of thing. Like, are those the people who really need it? Probably not. And yet it's a high-end offering that people who don't have room for that in their budget just wouldn't wouldn't think about doing. And very often these are the people who actually need it more. So as I got certified as a health coach and went back into food, I really started thinking about how can I make this accessible to everybody? Beautiful. So how do we know we're eating for emotional reasons then? Oh, I love this question because there's always, there's always a point here where people are thinking, Ooh, I never thought about that before. Uh, really thinking about uh, physical versus emotional hunger, uh, the points that come up really are when you're physically hungry, it's, it's a body thing. It's a physical thing. And if you recognize it, you are connected to your body's signals. And when we are physically hungry, we eat and we're satisfied and we stop. And the, the ones that I love, the points that I love about physical hunger versus emotional hunger are these. If you are physically hungry, let's say you're sitting in a meeting, like an interminable meeting, but you know that in 30 minutes, this meeting is going to be over. You're like, oh, that's okay. Like I can wait. So physical hunger can actually be delayed and it can be satisfied by a wide variety of foods. I like to say you walk into your kitchen, you open the refrigerator and you're like, yes, I could eat everything in here. <laughs> and you don't have negative feelings about it before, during, or after you eat. 
Now, emotional eating is exactly the opposite of that. It starts suddenly in response to emotions or thoughts rather than your body's signals. We all know the body signals, although many of us have forgotten them. Uh, what is it like to be physically hungry? My stomach growls. I feel a little bit lightheaded. I get a little snappish. We all have our own little no ways to know that we're physically hungry if we really tune in. So emotional eating is, is a disconnection from those, from those signals. Uh, and it feels insatiable. Like you're going to eat the whole bag, the whole box, the whole sleeve of cookies, whatever it is, you're just not going to be satisfied. Even when your body says, uh, that's enough. No, you're just going to keep going. <laughs> And emotional hunger generally cannot be postponed. You want something and you want it now. <laughs> and so, you know, that idea of sitting in the meeting, if you get triggered by something, it's like, oh my God, I got to get up now and grab a bag of chips. <laughs> uh, you can't postpone it. Uh, sometimes you have to because you can't get up in the middle of the meeting, but the feeling is very different. The physical hunger is like, oh yeah, I can wait half an hour. The emotional hunger really distracts you. Like you stop paying attention because what you want is food. Uh, the other thing is we very often crave specific foods or food combinations when we're emotionally hungry. And you look at your stocked pantry and you think, mm, God, there is nothing in here I want. So why are you standing there? <laughs> so there's this idea that it's a specific food. You have a pantry full of it and you're not hungry for that. Mm, it's probably not physical hunger. And finally, very, very often emotional eating not only carries with it and after it feelings of guilt, shame, and powerlessness, you actually are sliding into it like, oh my God, here I go again. And you're already feeling negative about it, but there you go, you're going off to the kitchen. <laughs> so that's really the first stage that uh, I talk about with clients is for a week, just play scientist. You know, a scientist looks at things with questions in mind, like, hmm, is this physical or emotional hunger? Don't necessarily do anything about it. Just note it. Just, just look at yourself and think, huh, here I am in the kitchen again. Am I physically hungry or am I emotionally hungry? Using those, those few criteria, like do I want anything in the fridge or do I want a specific thing? Am I going to finish the whole box or am I good with just having two cookies? So just really playing scientist is the first, the first of the four stages that I walk clients through. And the first one is hunger and the activity associated with it is play scientist, figure out. What kind of hunger is this? Beautiful. So I'm curious now, what are the other three stages? <laughs> <laughs> so the other three stages, uh, the other three stages are, the next thing we do is we look at what's the trigger. What is the trigger and not the emotion. Don't tell me I'm eating because I'm sad. Tell me I'm sad because, and here's where we were talking about, you know, location has a huge part to play in our emotional eating. Time the day, the week, the month, the year, the season can really impact what we eat and why. Sleep, as in lack of. I don't know whether you've ever noticed, but a lot of people have a response to a lack of sleep that they crave more carbs. And I know for myself, if I don't sleep well or enough the night before, okay, gotta, gotta sort of prep myself because I know the next day I'm gonna want carbs, specifically simple carbs, all day long. And on a physiological level, that makes sense because you're tired and what your body needs is energy. And where do we get super quick energy? Simple carbs. So your body's very smart. It's not asking you to eat things that are going to take a long time to digest and give you a really stable blood sugar because it wants sugar now because that's what it functions on. Um, other people, 
Huge, huge trigger. <laughs> uh, cultural messages, what we hear around us about food and how to eat and how much to eat and when to eat and situations and events. So we spend a week looking at what are those triggers? Again, just noticing. Here I am. I've identified, I'm a scientist. I know that I have gone into the kitchen because I'm emotionally hungry. Okay, stop. What was my trigger? And so this stage I call playing journalist. And we know the journalist questions, right? Who, what, when, where, why, how? Those are the questions I want you to ask for that week. So you spend a week thinking about, am I physically hungry or emotionally hungry? And then you spend a week thinking about what triggered this? What drove me into the kitchen? Who, what, when, where, why, how? Play the journalist. And the third stage, this is kind of the most fun one and also a little bit difficult, very difficult, emotion. And really thinking about what emotion am I experiencing when this trigger happens? This is very hard because many, many of us grew up believing that showing emotions, not acceptable, not okay. Suck it up, chin up, push through, stiff upper lip. You know, <laughs> big girls don't cry. All of that messaging tells us it's not okay to feel an emotion, especially not a strong one. Why? Because somewhere in our minds, we conflated showing an emotion with feeling one, right? It's like we can't trust ourselves to feel an emotion without being somehow socially unacceptable, socially inappropriate. And so food and drink, which is so available to most of us, becomes this acceptable way to drown your sorrow, stuff down your anger, assuage your fear. So that takes us into this crazy sort of cycle of stuck where you're feeling an emotion, you stuff it down with food, which makes you feel guilty or shameful and you get more food. And it's just this incredibly strong cycle. So during this stage, I ask my clients to play toddler. So some of them love this, some of it hate it, but you know, we've gone through playing scientist, figuring out what kind of hunger it is, playing journalist, figuring out what triggered you. And then you're going to play toddler and you're going to name the emotion that you're feeling. And then you're going to feel it. You're going to let yourself feel it. Do you know how long a typical emotion lasts? I'm not talking about grief or rage, like the really big ones, but the typical ones we experience in a day. Have you heard how long they last? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say 90 seconds. Pretty good. Two to 20 minutes. Okay. Two to 20 minutes. So if you can say, okay, I'm sad. And right now I'm not going to reach for food. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to be sad. Or I'm going to, I'm going to really feel that anger. And I'm going to trust myself that I'm not going to do something inappropriate because I am an adult after all. So you may have to go in the bedroom and punch a pillow, right? Nobody needs to see you do that. Uh, you might want to go and have a good cry. You may want to, if you work in the food service industry, do you know how many people go in the walk-in cooler and shut it and scream their heads off? <laughs> it's a thing. <laughs> so yes, in some ways, those are socially unacceptable. And yet you can find ways to feel your emotion and, and work through it without, you know, slapping your kid who's pissing you off or eating the whole chocolate cake or whatever it is, name the emotion and see if you can sit with it for two to 20 minutes. That's how long a toddler will normally have a tantrum. So there's hope, right? Yeah. So that's the third stage. Name the emotion and feel it. Play it out like a toddler would. 
Um, there's a wonderful coach, uh, Christine Hassler, who has a great podcast, and she teaches something called the, the temper tantrum technique. So I always think of her when I'm thinking about that, like, be that toddler, figure out how you can have your little tantrum without having to do it in public. Um, so in some instances, just allowing ourselves to feel those feelings and finding a non-food way to act them out can break that cycle of stuck. And that's the kind of cool thing about these four stages. People can cycle out of emotional eating at any one of them. Some people just need to recognize, oh, I'm eating emotionally. I don't need to eat right now. For some people, that's enough. And that's great. And if it's not, you know, you take on the next stage, which is what's triggering me. And once they figure out what's triggering them, they can either remove themselves from that situation, reduce the number of times they encounter that situation. So they could cycle out at that stage. A third person might cycle out after, after recognizing like, oh, I'm sad. And if I let myself cry in 20 minutes, I'll be fine. And I don't need to go and eat something. And the fourth stage is really the most difficult. And uh, this is for the real hardcore emotional eaters. Uh, I really love it when people struggling with emotional eating hire a coach in addition to working with a therapist because we, we have two very different roles to play in it. And very often when we, when we get to this stage, people recognize like, oh yeah, there's a lot here that I need to address. And, you know, as a health coach, it's not within my scope of practice to, to do therapy. <laughs> so it, it's not absolutely necessary, but it's this, if you've reached this stage and you still haven't really cycled out, it's something to consider if it's, it's within your means to work with a therapist. And this part is all about desire because behind those emotions, there is usually a deeper desire. And really it has to do with um, fear, anger, and sadness. Those are emotions and they're related to desires. So if you are afraid, there's usually a lack of some kind. We're, we're lacking abundance. We're, we're afraid that something's going to be taken away from us. Anger is very often about being seen. We're not being seen and we want to be. And sadness is really about connecting with other human beings. So not necessarily human even. Some people are good with a furry being, you know. <laughs> um, it's really related to our desire for love. And so if we can say that our most basic desires are stemming, you know, that those are what lead us to fear, anger, and sadness. What we experienced as very young children before we learned these nuances of emotion are safety, attention, and love. Those are our three things that we need. And very often we can pull our other emotions back and say, oh, at the root of all that is, is fear or sadness or anger. And I want you to think about that little toddler who is crying because she's scared if you were to ask that toddler, honey, what do you want? She's not going to say ice cream. She's just not. Unless an adult has already taught her that when I cry, I, I'm given ice cream and that's supposed to make me feel better, but it doesn't make me feel better. So what's going on? And I'm a bad person because it's not making me feel better. So that's a learned response. And very often as adults, we, we do that to our kids. Oh, here, honey, have a lollipop. <laughs> oh, it's okay. Don't cry. So Think about the toddler and ask her what she wants. And so this, this stage is really all about playing parent 
to your inner toddler. So we've played scientist, journalist, toddler, and now we're playing parent. And what we're trying to do is to give that inner toddler what she wants, like any really good parent would do. And this is not about blaming your parents if they didn't give you what you needed. This is about saying, I'm an adult now, and I'm the one in charge of me, and I can give myself what I want. So a lot of people will say, you know, I need a hug and they have somebody around who can give them a hug. Great. And be prepared for those situations where you don't have someone around. What is, you know, if physical touch is your love language and there's nobody around to give you a hug, so you're going to go eat something, what can you do instead? You know, some people literally give themselves a hug. Some people wrap themselves in a blanket. Some people, you know, pet the cat. Some people just find pleasure in just touching themselves, you know, not, not in sexual ways, but just giving themselves some physical affection. So this stage is really about identifying what does that toddler want and giving it to her in a way that speaks her love language and really thinking about, you know, what are your inner voices like? Are your inner voices that mean coach? Or the nice coach, you know. Can we swear on this? <laughs> I have I have a client who calls her inner voices her inner itty bitty shitty committee, right? <laughs> so, like, do you have an itty bitty shitty committee in your head? Because if your love language is words of affirmation, and you're telling yourself, "What is wrong with you? Why can't you stop eating? Why not try a different tack and say, you know what, you've got this. It's okay." And that really brings us sort of full circle to talking about like, why, how the heck is Chinese studies related to, to emotional eating? And the story behind that is that in Chinese, ancient Chinese philosophy, there's this concept of yin yang. And you've probably seen the symbol, you know, it's the it's sort of two commas interlaced, one's black, one's white. And it really speaks to something called energetics. And it talks about masculine and feminine energy. That's what that represents. It's masculine and feminine. It's light and dark. It's expanding and it's contracting. And generally, we can flow between these two polarities. So that's why it's not half of a square. It's a circle that is like one flows into the other. And you'll notice that in the black section, there's a little piece of white. And in the white section, there's a little dot of black. And that's because no matter where we fall on the spectrum of you know male, female, both, neither, wherever we are on that spectrum, we all have masculine and feminine energy inside of us. And we tend to lead with one or the other. I lead with a very masculine energy 90% of the time. I'm like driven, do it. <laughs> and so working on sort of bolstering, harmonizing a little bit more, I don't like the word balance because it that's up this idea of perfection. But if you can harmonize those two energies a little better, there's, there's much more flow in your life. And so it, in uh, Liana Silver wrote a wonderful book called uh, Feminine Genius. And she says in that book that masculine energy moves in a straight line like an arrow. And feminine energy is much more flowing. It's much more looping and spiraling. And her her uh, analogy is we move like a slinky if we're in our feminine energy. It just comes back around and comes back around. And so the masculine energy in us is inclined to doing battle, hunting, providing, protecting. And our feminine side is more towards nurturing, you know, tend and mend kind of energy. And neither is right or wrong. Neither is better or worse. And for the most part, 
we can tap into the one that fits our current needs. Have you ever noticed how we talk about emotional eating? What are the words we use when we think about emotional eating and we want to not do it anymore? We are more definitely in, in the, the female side, the nurturing side, the, the compassion, the... Yes. Well, as coaches, I, I would say we are. Yeah. yeah. I think our culture is very masculine around this, right? It yeah. is just do it, push through it. <laughs> uh, some, it. Emotional eating is something that you need to battle beat, conquer, control, end. <laughs> so those are all very masculine words. And the feminine part of that is missing. And what I would like to suggest, and especially for women, like I said, I tend to fo function in my masculine energy. And I found with emotional eating, switching that to a more feminine approach is much more helpful because you think about that last stage, it's the nurturing, it's the nurturing parent, not the one who's like, come on, just do it, what's wrong with you? You've got this, I've seen you be successful before, we can do this together, what do you need? That's a much more feminine approach. So when we approach emotional eating in a masculine way or habit change in general, it's sort of like a pushing energy and it's a motivating energy. And if we approach it from a feminine perspective, there's much more flow, much more pulling, and it's more of an invitation than a motivation. And interestingly enough, when you think about water, which is the ultimate symbol of the feminine, water is incredibly powerful. <laughs> we can wear away rock with our feminine energy. So there's a power in it that you can't dismiss it as, oh, that's the soft thing. So again, we're moving from motivation to invitation, from, from, you know, from competition to collaboration with our bodies. So I'm really asking clients to get in that space where they're using more of their feminine energy because it's more intuitive. And we're working with our intuition and our genetics to make changes rather than forcing our bodies to go into contortions and trying to change our minds in ways that don't work. So instead of, you know, battle, beat, conquer, manage, control, subdue, tackle, you know, the word I always like to suggest is steward. And this is where another part of my CV comes in, which is I used to work in as a parish administrator. And that was really the first time that I heard the word stewardship a lot. If you've ever been in a church community, it's a big word. Um, so yeah, you don't hear it much outside of the religious no, the, I've noticed in recent years, it's taken on a new life with environmental causes, like stewardship of the earth, stewardship of resources. And that's great. Um, but like you said, it's, it's for years, it was not used very much outside of the, the church context, the faith community context. So the word steward, and I looked it up, to steward something means to take mindful, loving care of that which is entrusted to you. Beautiful. And when you apply that to your body, your health, think about it and take it one step further. Don't just apply it to your body, apply it to your emotional eating. Your emotional eating is not a problem. It's an opportunity. There's a grant writer mind shift for you. I was taught as a grant writer, never talk about the problem. Talk about the opportunity. It's a gift. It's a message from your entire being, your body, mind, and spirit that you're not taking 
mindful and loving care of it. Like, hello, something's going on. You need to address this in order to really steward your body, your mind, your spirit. And guess what? It It's feminine. It's going to loop back around again and again. And oh, here comes that emotional eating again. That's why using the masculine approach of beating it, conquering it, tackling it, for most people, it never goes away. And that may sound awful. And if you do that mindset shift and think, oh, this is a gift. I find myself emotional eating. There must be something going on that I am not addressing. So that's, that's the approach that I like to encourage clients to take, which is, first of all, get into your feminine energy. See if you can use the nurturing, kind parent approach rather than that itty-bitty shitty committee, like, what the hell is wrong with you? What you why can't you do this? What, you know, like, other people don't have this problem. What's wrong with you? <laughs> why are you so broken? No. If you can get out of that energy, step back and think about stewardship rather than conquering rather than tackling, beating it, ending it, managing it, controlling it. Think about stewarding it. Like every time it comes around, it's a reminder. Oh, I got to take care of myself. There's something that is out of whack for me. That was so beautiful. Thank you. That was amazing. (laughs) I love the feminine masculine energy portion of that. That was just a, a perception shift right there of, you know, even just the words we use with it. Yeah. And that's the language teacher in me. I love these mind games that we like neuro-linguistic programming talks about this. Use your language to change your brain, actually rewire your brain. So if you see that emotional eating coming and you think, oh, got to gird up, you know, (laughs) I just recently saw an article about, um, they were talking about work and how every day feels like a battle in an endless war. And I thought, wow. If that is not a masculine energy way of looking at work, right? And I started thinking about like, how would you change that? How would you change? The expression was pick your battles. And I thought, ooh, I don't like that because I don't want a battle. <laughs> I, want, I want nurture. I want flow. And so a friend and I sort of started spitballing stuff and came up with, you know, what kind of, you know, which rocks do you want to flow around and which rocks do you want to wear away? <laughs> So yeah, that, that language game is, is a big, big part of what I do because I used to be a language teacher. (laughs) But yeah. And we always tell ourselves, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try that. But how do you try? I'm going to try to open the door. You either open it or you don't. There is no try, try, right? There is no try. What do we replace try with? I am making the effort. I am. I choose to. Choose. Yeah. Yeah. I choose to open the door. Yeah. Rather than I'm going to, I try to open the door. Yeah. So, so being aware also, you know, awareness is such a huge thing. Being aware of the words you're using with yourself that really don't mean anything to you. What are the words you can use instead? that will motivate you, that will invite you, (laughs) invite you, that will, whatever it is that you need to do. Yeah. Draw you toward it rather than push you toward it. Yes. Or, you know, I feel, I feel 
I feel like I'm being pushed toward it, but I don't want to be pushed toward it. So even though I say I want it, but I really don't. I love that you're you're making these gestures because that's <laughs> one thing that I really work on with clients, which is get back in touch with your intuition. You have shut her down for so long, so long, because you you think about taking information from the outside. How should I eat? How should I move? How should I sleep? And you look outside yourself. And what we want to do is bring it back to our intuition. And why I was laughing about your body language is that is an exercise that I teach my clients and it's called the sway test. And I learned it from a wonderful um, food intuitive, uh, an intuitive food coach uh, named Lana Nelson. And she talks about it with food, but you can apply it to anything. Think about, are you swaying toward it? Which is like this sacred yes. Like, yes, I want this. I'm being drawn in. Or are you pushing away? And that's a hell no. No way. This is not for me. And so many times we feel ourselves doing that, but we don't respect it. We don't listen to it. And it's really about bringing yourself back to your intuition and figuring out what am I inclining toward? What draws me rather than what am I being pushed toward from the outside? Absolutely. This has been so amazing. I could talk to you forever. I know. <laughs> we need to do more of these. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for all of these gold nuggets. Oh, it's been absolutely. so amazing. So please share with our viewers your free gift for them. Yes, I have a, uh, I generally do what I call a your story session because I like, I don't like the word history because it has his in it. So I do a your story session and um, that is completely free and pitch free. I am not going to be pitching you during this session because I actually don't work with people after one session. I do a session with them and I say, okay, let's, you know, let's, let's circle back around in two weeks and see how it went because it doesn't make sense for us to work together. If for two weeks, you can't think about what we talked about. You can't apply some of the few things we do. So I'm embarrassed to say that I don't have the link handy, which I should have. And I know it's coming in the resources. Uh, you can always find me uh, on my website, which is simplyhealthcoaching.com. Beautiful. Lisa, thank you so much for your time, your generosity. Do you have one final gold nugget to share with everybody? Yes. One more, one more nugget. Um, curiosity in place of judgment. Uh, we talked a little bit about voices in your head. The minute you go into judgment, self-judgment, you are shutting down the conversation. There is no conversation after, oh, why did I eat that again? Same question asked with curiosity. Huh, why did I eat that again? Beautiful. There's your invitation. Think about it. Why did I eat that again? And you can go through those processes of, you know, was it, what sort of hunger was it? What triggered you? What was the emotion? What's the real desire? And how do you set yourself up for success next time? So when you can move out of judgment and into curiosity, you're opening up a whole different conversation, an entire conversation. Beautiful. You're so amazing. You're such a beautiful soul. Thank you for everything you do. <laughs> Thank you, Karen. For joining us today. Time. Have a wonderful day. You too. Enjoy Thank the weekend. You. Yes. What did you guys think? I fell in love with Lisa Baker. Masculine, feminine energy, 
perception shifts, language, all of the good things that we need to be aware of to help us connect the dots of why we emotional eat and how we can overcome it. Her four stages of emotional eating stewardship was amazing. Please check her out. Check her freebie. You guys, you, you won't regret it. You'll love her. Next steps, jump in the Facebook group, share your ahas, your takeaways, your insights, your questions. I would love to hear them. Want to answer all your questions. If you're not on, on social media or in the Facebook group, please just reply to the, e the email that you received your video in. I will respond to all of them. You guys stay true to you. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. Please note that any suggestions provided on this show are not meant to replace medical advice and the opinions of the guests on this show are their own. Simply Health Coaching and Elizabeth A. Baker, LLC, neither endorse nor take responsibility for statements made by guests. Let me know your thoughts about the episode and share your biggest takeaways and aha moments. And let me know who else you want to hear from on the topic of being well while doing good. You can send me a voice message directly through Anchor, as well as some of the other listening platforms. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast in your listening app so you never miss an episode. Love the podcast? You can support it with a donation directly from the podcast homepage in most listening apps. If you'd like to know more about my work, visit my website at simplyhealthcoaching.com. As always, the link is in the show notes.